Well, 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 welcome to the mayhem Dick and Lloyd mayhem Media mayhem Market in a mayhem You might love it, you might hate it Here's my favorite freaking show Bill Haw and the Stockyards. Join Loy and myself as we discover two great Kansas City stories. The Livestock Exchange Building is a 110-year-old gem that has been authentically restored and houses several businesses and artists. Bill is an 80-year-old man of action and adventure who owns the Livestock Building and much of the land south of 670 in the West Bottoms that he calls the Stockyards area. We take a look at what his plans are for this area, where he's been, how he got there, and all kinds of information that he has up his sleeve. We are in the Livestock Exchange Building. What a wonderful place to be. It's unbelievable. You talk <laughs> about a, one of those timeless treasures in Kansas City, and that the gentleman we're talking to today has really pretty much single-handedly saved this building and this neighborhood. Bill, thank you so much uh, for having us here in your cool space. Love this place. Tell us, how did this happen? How did you wind up down here taking this whole area and uh, doing what you're doing with it? Well, how could I possibly expand on what you've just said? I couldn't do it. All right, well, thanks for being here, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, uh, I, I have the advantage in recent decades of uh, having accumulated enough in my life that I can do things in a way that I think are special. And I think this building and this neighborhood are a great example of that. Absolutely. If I didn't think it, I would begin to think it because I hear it every day from <laughs> people in the neighborhood. A lot of interesting people have made this the their place of business and, and now there are apartments down here that you've Put in next to the, I guess the livestock exchange building. This is one of the great grand old buildings left in the city. Uh, built when? Uh, 1910. 1910. Yeah. And uh, you've left it essentially the same. I mean, uh, no unnecessary uh, polishing and paneling and anything. I mean, this has got all the great old materials. It's timeless feel. It is good wooden floors and things like that. Oh yeah. Back in 19, when the place opened, you know, there are nine floors of a lot of offices in this building. Mm -hmm. Who populated this building? It was uh, primarily populated by uh, commission traders Mm -hmm. who made their living buying and selling cattle out in the stockyards, Mm -hmm. which was all you could see here, 12,000 men, 60,000 cattle in a single day. 60,000 in a day yeah, to come in. Yeah, the biggest day ever. Five rail lines, I think. Wow. Leading into it. So it was, uh, even by today's standard, it was an enormous thing, but relative to the rest of the city then, it was just an incredible, mm-hmm. overwhelming economic presence. When was the final time that there was ca- cattle brought into this area? Well, it. it it's probably not that easily definable. Yeah. It, um, it was precipitated by the emergence of the large cattle feed yards, mm-hmm. where uh, up until then, cattle were owned in very small numbers by an infinite number of small farmers. Uh, the feedlots 
concentrated the presence and not in Kansas City, but in more remote places. Mm -hmm. And uh, the commission merchants all migrated toward where the bulk of the cattle were. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now there were reasons in those days that they had to have hubs like Kansas City, Chicago. Exactly. What were the big hubs and, and what was that? Probably Omaha, Kansas City, and Chicago would mm -hmm. have been the principal hubs. And it was a, it was because of the rail yards and the refrigeration and all these other reasons. Uh, well, it really it was a place to take what was a uh, economically tiny, tiny fragmented series of owners of cattle and bring them into a place where concentrations of ownership would mm -hmm. exist primarily directly from the farmer owner to the packing houses across the river. I believe there were 12 mm -hmm. across the river. Yeah. And were you in, are you in the cattle business or have you been or is this just a, something that you took a, a liking to, an interest in this area? I, uh, I had become, I'm a former banker and a former uh, owner operator of a large agricultural farming company did really the first huge concentrated hog ownership, kind of parroted what they had done in the chicken business from a, from a fragmented tiny industry to a very highly consolidated efficient business. So I had quite a bit of experience in agriculture and I'm also a, a large rancher landowner in the Flint Hills. That's right. I want to talk about that soon because people were telling me about the the Flint Hills uh, thing that you had going on out there with the, the music and and I think you recently uh, sold the property or part of it or I've sold some, some of the of Flint Hills land. I, I think I beautiful probably, land. I I've seen pictures of it. Amazing. Uh, scenic is sometimes more valuable than practicality. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. <laughs> and if you if you've got both yeah. You have the best of all worlds, I think. But this was the spot where the symphony would come out and do their, their now, concert. I was, I've always been a director of the symphony, uh, but I've never been a key player in the symphony. I'm, I'm continually amazed at how enormously successful it's been. Yeah, but on that land is where they had that event. Uh, they year. have never had it on land that I own. Okay. Mm -hmm. No, they've had it in a different location every I year. See. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, now, you went from banking to a large-scale, innovative hog operation? Well, there was an interim step. I went from banking, and I, and I did have a wonderful career at the Commerce Bank. I, Commerce Bank here in Kansas City. Yeah, and um, within probably six years or so, I was offered the presidency of the bank as a very young man. I uh, turned it down because I, I felt like I would have had to stay forever if I accepted that incredible honor. Um, and then a, a, a publicly held company, the directors came to me of a company that owned 30 or 40,000 acres of irrigated farmland and were going broke, uh, asked me how I might assist them in executing that bankruptcy and I for some stranger even said, I guess the best thing you could do would be to hire me and I'll fix it and <laughs> we'll own it together. So at that point it was, um, 
a, a company with a glamorous name of National Alfalfa Dehydrating and Milling Company. That rolls right off the tongue. Mm -hmm. It does, doesn't uh -huh. it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was a publicly held company, and uh, their principal asset were, were a huge ownership of irrigated farmland. Uh, I had the reputation, if not the resources, to be able to borrow the money that they needed and by running the company a little better, um, uh, made it a very successful company. The next step was to build a hog operation that really parroted what uh, Don Tyson had done in the chicken business, mm -hmm. which was take a highly fragmented, scattered business and make it an extremely high volume, concentrated business. I thought, gosh, if Don could do that with the chickens, I bet I could do it with the hogs. So uh, that was that was the next step in the business. Well, how old were you at this point? Oh, more than 12, I think. <laughs> I you said you'd been a banker for five years? Uh, a total of 10 years. 10 years? Yeah. You were a very young man when you were doing these big I was, deals. I was, yeah. And as an English literature major, again, an I English had the literature, of not, typical English literature not major slacker. <laughs> That's, <right. laughs> That's a fantastic story. So, so you were uh, uh, you were a fast study, obviously, in the ar uh, agriculture world, and you uh, picked up on what Tyson was doing with chicken and and completely uh, built this operation from scratch, modeling it after that, and? I did, yeah. I think, wow. I remember talking to them, then the president of IBP, now Tyson Foods. Uh -huh. um, and, and, and I did have access to him because the company that I took over had owed them $6 million that they couldn't pay him. I got them paid, so I became popular. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he had all kinds of time for you. He did. Uh, he took advantage of it. Anyway, uh, at that time, the average transaction for this largest hog processing company in the world was 19 pigs per purchase. Um, and, and so the genetics and other economics of the business were equally fragmented. Uh, it just seemed to me that there was a perfect parallel with what Don Tyson had done in the chicken business wow. to do it in the hog business. So at that time, inflation was diminishing. We sold all the farmland that we had then, put the money in a very large concentrated hog business. Now, would consumers today be familiar with the name of the company that you... Well, it, the company, we really broke it into pieces and sold it to a number of others who were sort of parroting what we had done. I see. Um, so there, w there wouldn't be an identifiable uh, survivor. And, of course, the business we had then would be a small fraction of the huge businesses that have kind of parroted what we were doing. Well, I know that Kansas City is the home of a gargantuan company that few people know about it being here in mm -hmm. Smithfield. Yeah. I think uh, we I think we sold Smithfield one of our hog operations a long that's a long time ago. The amount of ham that goes uh, uh, through that company is just astounding. It is astounding and pork has gone from being sort of 
poor folks food, uh -huh. a very greasy, inexpensive thing uh, to a highly concentrated industry that is focused on genetics that are a much better product than pork used to be. All right, Mr. Haw, pork, what, what was it? The white meat, what was it called? The other, the white, other white meat. meat. The other white meat. Yes. Good, a good line, a success it for our marketing and media people. It was an incredible success in that chicken was no longer a product that you bought the whole animal. It was a product that was centered totally around breast meat. A very clean, white, adaptable meat that could be used in any number of flavor combinations. And that really is one of the things that made it a great transition for the chicken business. The pork loin became kind of the same uh, marketing deal as mm -hmm. the chicken breast had become. So yeah, and that's when it, it began to be referred to as the other white uh -huh. meat. Yeah, well that one stuck with me for a while. Being in the business, I can't get any of those old slogans or jingles out of my head, but that one was amazing. You probably even moment. wrote a song about it at I some probably point. Did, uh, yeah. Yeah. Wasn't it perfect though when you saw the enormous success of the chicken business based around the white meat, the breast meat, so yeah. that it was it was really parroting an immensely successful transition that the chicken business Seems like those hogs were just following those chickens all around. <laughs> Everything about them. They learned from the chicken. So, so then you, you also transitioned after that into some other, into ranch, ranching? Yeah, the, next, the next step really was uh, cattle feed yards, which were becoming larger and larger. We had initially bought three or four feedlots in the western United States and did a fair amount of what they call custom feeding, which is feeding cattle for small producers. That was not a good business. The small producers were difficult to work with, unpredictable, had varied and not always very good genetics. So we began to own all of our own cattle and specialize in a, in a better product, really. We ended up being, I think, the second largest cattle feeders in the United States. And was that a privately held company that you built, or was it just you? Or? The, uh, the Bass family in Fort Worth, uh, immensely wealthy mm -hmm. and wonderful people, uh, kind of midway in that transition with the company had come to me and asked if I would partner with them if they uh, invested heavily and took the, took the company private. But we've always, uh, we've always tried to get in, I've always tried to get into businesses sort of an embryonic stage and get out when everybody else wanted to get in. So uh, again, we sold the farmland and only owned farmland because of the appreciation potential in very fine farmland in an inflationary economy. Uh, we sold the hog business when lots of larger producers than we were uh, decided they wanted to be in it. So the cattle feeding business, uh, as it had become more and more um, profitable, and began to buy from my own personal account uh, land in the Flint Hills. Hmm. People talk about scalability a lot in, in business. Of course, the way they do it these days with the Amazon model and all that's kind of 
It's kind of bizarre, actually, uh, compared to doing it the old-fashioned way like you did. But when you were scaling these build, uh, businesses up, what were some of the some of the general principles or lessons or ideas that you might share with people uh, who are going in, like you say, going in there early in the embryonic stage, and then and they have uh, the desire to uh, to scale that business up. Mm -hmm. Well, it was, uh, all of those things were based around the uh, additional efficiency and productivity of utilizing economies of scale. Mm -hmm. And economies of scale would also give you access to better genetics. So you had the efficiencies that came with economies of scale, and you needed to be able to get the capital together to create economies of scale, but also the additional value that came of being able to concentrate a particular higher quality product than had been available before. Beginning in banking and then going to be an entrepreneur like you did, did that help your ability to get capital uh, with the banking background? I, I think it did, yeah. I, I had had a a sort of a visible ascendancy in the banking business. And the Commerce Bank was the largest commercial bank in the 10th Federal Reserve District. So it was, uh, it was a highly visible company that I worked for. And I had a pretty visible sort of an ascendancy within that company. That gave me a tremendous advantage. What were some of the successes in the banking in your early career that led to such a high profile career, such a high trajectory with your career path with them offering you that role? You know, I'm really not, I'm not, not sure. Uh, I was one of 14 of sort of the original transition that the Commerce Bank was making from uh, focusing on officers from well-to-do and well-known families to trying to focus on people. None of the 14 that they hired trainees were from an identifiable Kansas City family. For one reason or another, they kept pulling me out of one thing and putting it into uh, first the Commerce Tower, then the formation of the holding company, and I ran the first bank that they sent me down to Joplin to run the first bank. In the holding company, they came back ostensibly to be the president of the company. So it was it was not one thing, it was a whole series of things. In front of you, you've got a drawing here. What is this we're looking at here? What we're looking at here is a, uh, not something that, that I did, but something that the association for this larger neighborhood did. This, is, this, this whole area has uh, historically been known as the West Bottoms. Mm -hmm. I felt like what we're doing south of 670 in this triangle, much of which I own, was going to be very different from the really cool area north of 670 mm -hmm. that's been traditionally called the West Bottoms. Uh, I've renamed this area, and the name has caught on, as the Stockyards District, primarily, uh, well, I guess to ride on the reputation of the Stockyards mm -hmm. uh, in the historically but more to uh, differentiate it from the rest of the West Bottoms. A very cool place, 
but not the kind of place that we're developing down here. Okay, so right now, right around the Livestock Exchange Building, there are two really nice apartment projects here. Tell us a little bit about those and, and the other developments right here, and, mm -hmm. then, and then tell us what's, what's online for this other area. Okay. Well, originally, what I bought originally, and of course, dumb luck has followed me around <laughs> all of my life. Uh, the 48 acres that I bought of this awful-looking abandoned stockyards, completely unknown to me, was underlaid with millions of stockyards bricks, which are virtually worshipped in Kansas City. So I ended up selling half of the bricks for more than I paid for the whole 48 acres. Wow. Dumb, dumb luck. <laughs> Holy cow. Oh my gosh. You're the first uh, brick magnate I've ever heard thought? of. Yeah. <laughs> a brickionaire. So, uh, so again, uh, we, we've tried to keep the magic of the old stockyards name and some of the assets of it and change it. The other thing that hardly anybody knows is 20 acres of what I've got left here along the Kansas River is on this side of the river. It's now green, nice, developable land, and 20 acres of it is in Kansas, even though it's on this side of the river. Mm -hmm. There wouldn't be 1% of the people in Kansas City who would even believe me if I told them, but it is. That's wild. <laughs> it is wild. So again, the so development that you ask about. Uh, so you probably got some steamships buried under there and stuff. Oh, no, unquestionably. <laughs> yeah, and they add immensely to the value of the We could the dig down property. there and pull out some bric-a-brac and <laughs> ceramic things. Now, do you own the area that has all the haunted houses in it down here also? I do not. I don't you own do anything north that. of 670. Okay, north of 670, okay, yeah. all right. And again, one the one thing that first attracted me to the neighborhood was when I got out of the Army, I did, turned out to be just one year of graduate work in finance because several banks had been interested in hiring me. I didn't even speak their language. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I did go back to the University of Missouri uh, in the finance program. Commerce Bank came down, offered me a job uh, right on the spot. I remember asking Plez Miller, the president of the bank who had come down to talk to me, uh, do you want me to finish my master's or come to work now? And his answer, I'll never forget, was I'll pay you $420 a month then or I'll pay you $420 a month now. And the decision was obvious. <laughs> <laughs> the big money. Anyway, we now have um, these really nice all concrete apartment that I built across the way, a smaller with commercial space on it, doing very well. Uh, and then... With commercial second, space, uh, you mean in the on the bottom? Yeah, there are two course. architectural firms that have okay. the, the first floor. So uh, tell me what kind of person is looking at, to live down here. I mean, this is an exciting area. You've got, you've got the uh, river and, and, I mean, you're right down here in this uh, interesting area. You're kind of separated from the city. Uh, Separated uh, from, but adjacent to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're not, you don't have any of the typical, you've got wide open space. Yeah. And uh, it's right next door to the city, but 
what type of person who's coming down here? What what are the rents like? Uh, what what is it like yeah. to live down here right now? The the rents are uh, very competitive for and and again we only have the in existence right now we only have the one small apartment project across the street. There are 320 units being built here land in the yards. I, in the yards, the new one that I sold to Flaherty and Collins a large national apartment developer. Okay. Uh, I have retained some. And that's the old Golden Ox parking lot. It is the old Golden uh, Ox yeah. parking mm -hmm. lot, sure. right. Yeah. Okay, so uh, you retained ownership of the older apartment building? Uh, this is a brand new one that I built across the street. I do own that one. Okay. I sold. And that one's called the Stockyards Place? Stockyards Place. Okay. This one is called the Yards. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've retained a financial interest in it okay. during the construction phase. We are already planning a, uh, a second uh, large apartment unit that will be across the state line, but this side of the river. have to always make that happen. Mm -hmm. Because I think we'll see, as I was when I came to Kansas City, I'd never lived in Kansas City, I'd never been in Kansas City, but it seemed like a really wonderful place to live, Everybody in the Commerce Bank said, if you're going to have kids, you need to live on the Kansas side. And so I did. What we will be able to offer people is Missouri on this side of the street and Kansas on that side of the street. And the Mocan Bar right in the middle of both there of them. That's go. right. And when the cops come, everybody shifts to the other side to the of the side. room. Yeah. That's one of the, one of the benefits. <laughs> <laughs> You never know what yes. kind of state laws are going to yeah. pass. There'll be know. marijuana on one That's side right. and none on the across the street. So, <laughs> so you've got other interesting people down here. You've got, uh, what is it called, Amagoni? The Amagoni Winery. Winery. Yeah. Wines. In the Drover's Telegram building that I bought out of bankruptcy uh, several years ago. And Carrie and Michael Amagoni have, have built a incredibly successful winery and event space in the Drover's Telegram building, which has DMH Marketing, a very successful company, uh -huh. has the upper floors of that building. Wow, it's an interesting place to be. I mean, the vistas are really fantastic. You can really see a whole lot of the city, river, air, all kinds of highways. Now, were you involved in the redevelopment of the Hy-Vee Arena down here at all? Yeah, interestingly enough, I was involved initially, but uh, the guarantee terms of the lender were not satisfactory to me, so mm -hmm. um, so I did not continue with the plan to be part of it. Yeah, okay. it's a it's a fabulous facility. Mm -hmm. uh, Steve Fouch has done an incredible job. Went from one basketball court to twelve basketball courts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, plus a number of other athletic and recreational facilities so it's it's a great addition to the neighborhood and what other uh, tenants are down here that uh, that are interesting mm -hmm. or food and beverage and butler like butler manufacturing uh, again i had happened to have been on the board of that company for a long time when they needed to make a move and uh, they agreed to buy several acres down here and build a new national headquarters 
for Butler Manufacturing. Is this actually a manufacturing facility for them, or is no, it just a headquarters? No, it's strictly headquarters okay. office, yeah. So they've been wonderful tenants. Uh, my initial transaction was to sell 17 acres to Gateway Computers. Mm -hmm. Then and Gosh, temporarily, wow. a yeah. legendary name. Yeah. I thought, gee, what a, what a brilliant thing for me to have done. And of course, their future was not nearly as good as their past. Uh -huh. yeah. uh, well, now is it is that the stockyards location? Why they painted their boxes like uh, Holsteins or whatever that was? No, but uh, you may be familiar with the what I call the Bull Mountain, which right. is a sure. Flint Hills replica. Ted Waite, I think was his name, was the chairman. He always told me he was going to have people sneak in and paint the bulls on the Bull Mountain like Holsteins, <laughs> which I assured him there'd be severe consequences if he, if he did that. But now we have Mark I Electric there, uh, and the state of Missouri uh, has an office in that property. So Gateway didn't last, but we've ended up with two wonderful tenants, not tenants of mine, I'm sorry, occupants. Occupants down here, yeah. okay. So you see a lot of this development happening over the next five years, is that your plan as far as that, or? Uh, to me, you know, I'm 80 years old, so five years sounds like a long time. <laughs> let's make it quicker than All right, that. let's do <laughs> it. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're, you know, for 80, I see that bicycle and helmet there, that's probably yours, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you've got an obviously active lifestyle. You ride that saddle anywhere? Yeah, it's a story on that thing. That, that one was given to me by a man whose father had worked here all of his life. And a very touching story. He brought the saddle in, said his dad had ridden that saddle all of his working life. And he knew that it would make him happy to know that I had it. And so he gave it to me. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. What yeah. about the statue behind you there of the, the big cowboy on the horse? That's, uh, that's a, a work in bronze by Ulysses Grant Speed. Mm -hmm. I bought another smaller one there uh, from him, and I really felt like uh, I felt like he was the best artist ever in Western bronzes. So I've accumulated a number of his his works over a period of time. I bought this one to put here in my office. And then as we redeveloped this whole building, the second floor at the head of the staircase was so perfect that I did something I wouldn't ever have wanted to do, was buy two of the 15 examples of this particular sculpture, just because it looks so perfect down there. It does, yeah. It does look great. Yeah. <laughs> now this building has a lot of quirky, interesting attributes, like uh, the, the bathroom situation is pretty fun. Yeah. I love that story. I was talking to uh, Art Fillmore, mm -hmm. who's one of your tenants, and he, I said, Art, there's, there's not, a, I can't find the restroom. And he said, well, you got to go to the next floor. He said they had to, they had to make this a women's restroom because they, did, they didn't have women's restrooms. Well, they didn't have women because they didn't the need them. <laughs> yeah. So when this was built, uh, this was a man's world down here. You know, it really was completely a man's world. And, uh, and again, every architect that I talked to about redoing the building, because it was a derelict, you know, wanted to modernize it, narrow down the halls, narrow the 
the lobbies, the elevator lobbies, and I said, you know, I don't want to do that. Just make it look brand new, exactly like it probably looked. I'm so glad you it. did that. I am too, and I think it'd be safe to say that all or virtually all of the tenants in the building are awful glad I did it too. There is a romance, there's a timelessness to it that feels like no place else. I mean, yeah. it to me, the only thing I can compare recently, the experience, was going back to Leavenworth for a meeting and driving down that main street. Is that the prison where you had spent some time? Yes, well, I was there. <laughs> I was just visiting a friend. Yeah. Some friends, old friends. But the way that that old main street is opened up uh -huh. and those buildings are essentially for several blocks are untouched, it's that wonderful feeling of timelessness. And that's kind of how I feel when I walk into the lobby of this building. You know, I have people tell me that every single day, and a lot of people will come here to visit friends or customers who have space in the building, and will make it a point to come up here and tell me how much they love the building. So there's something magical about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And you know, our city, Kansas City, is like probably every other city in, in the country, many people spend their entire day and evening, they live, they work in places where everything around them is newer than they are. Yeah. And that's just a little disturbing. It's fun to go into a place where it's older than your daddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's even older than me. <laughs> it's quite a bit. That's right. No, it is a wonderful old building, and I am fiercely proud of what we've done here and how many people seem to love it. Well, you cultivate artistic, creative, whatever you want to call that creative class. I, I hate that term, but I notice there are an awful lot of people who are engaged in the arts that are you know, down that here. that was another crazy, dumb thing that I did when we remodeled the building was I left the, the entire fifth floor virtually undeveloped for affordable artist studios. Now why in the hell I did that when I, you know, my other experience had been the Commerce Tower where everybody wore identical suits and ties and, and acted and looked the same. Did you but, wear a Homburg? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> but. Yeah, uh, keeping that fifth floor uh, undeveloped for affordable artist studios turned out to be a great part of the culture that we've created here. And we have a long waiting list of people and several people who have rented more expensive space in the building waiting for space. What is it about that appeals to you? How, what, how, do you, how does that make you feel to be able to do that? to be able to take part of that and say, I, I'm, I mean, this is an old school incubator, really. Yeah. Well, before all the fancy terms and, and uh, for all the pats on the back and virtue signaling and aren't we great, we're incubators. Legitimately, this is like I was telling you about my, my old uh, dearly uh, departed friend, Charles Hansen who uh, rented my partner and me uh, in our art studio, mm -hmm. the entire building where Californo's restaurant was for so long, 
for 150 bucks a month and we had the run of that place and we had a huge art studio down there and it was tremendous for us. But he did that just because he got a kick out of allowing people to, who were in those, in the creative field to, to have that opportunity. Mm -hmm. So what is it about that that made you do that? Uh, well, first of all, my, my mother was an artist, a lifetime artist. Great, crazy story. My, my dad was in medical school. She was in St. Louis Institute of Art. They became involved. He talked her into switching into nursing, and she got a nursing degree and never practiced nursing a day in her life, but created art every day of her life. So I, I grew up in a family that valued and appreciated art for other than economic reasons. My son came back to work with me uh, from Japan where he'd had a, an incredible career, among other things, running a large part of uh, Amazon in that part of the world. And after a few years when the Dolphin Gallery closed down, John O'Brien wasn't gonna let another artist buy it. But we kind of talked, or I kind of talked John into leasing it, or selling it, excuse me, to my son, who is a natural born artist himself. I am not. I appreciate it, but I have absolutely no artistic, creative talent, whatever. Anyway, I, all my life I've been around artists and art, and I've always appreciated the difference between artistic benefit and economic benefit. Well, tell us a little about your son and what he's been doing then. He's, a, he's been incredibly successful. Uh, again, John O'Brien was good enough to agree to sell it to someone who would carry it on as a, as a gallery. He runs it as a business, and he's doing extremely well as a business, has a second location in the crossroads now, and is maybe looking at some other real what estate opportunities. What does he call the business? It's the Dolphin. Okay. The Dolphin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which it, it was under that same name with John O'Brien. Okay. Very well-known gallery. Yeah. What have we missed out on in talking with you, do you think? Anything else? Yeah, maybe access to the river. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's, there's not been anything other than industrial development along the Kansas River. The Kansas River is... Uh, is not very much like the Missouri River, which in Berkeley Park is spectacular, beautiful. Mm -hmm. but, the Can but the Missouri River is very threatening. The Kansas River, on the other hand, is very peaceful and quiet. Uh, a number of years ago, I, I funded um, the Kansas City Rowing Club, uh, and they still are operating out of the shipping containers you can see along the river You're there. kidding. Hmm, okay. Uh, I have no idea about that. You see the, the four women in the oh, photograph yeah. there? Sure. Um, they, they, uh, and, and for a long period of time, they and every other woman who learned to row there got a Title IX scholarship to go to college. Pretty cool. Wow, that is fascinating. And if there's anything more beautiful than four, six, or eight women rowing a beautiful boat in yeah. a river. I don't, I don't know what it I would be. I have never experienced wow. that first I've seen yeah. it on TV. 
<laughs> I, you know what? I, I, will you let me know next time they're rowing so I can come <laughs> down to the call? I think they're usually, well, the river's been so high that it hasn't been friendly to shells. Mm. No, I usually uh, come down to the car just for the Macy's on the car or maybe just visit the Potato King <laughs> or uh, all those other car related things. But but you were saying the shelves are... Yeah, there are, the rowing club is continuously operated there for a number of years now, but it's it's been a tough year because of the current in the in the river. So do they just not do it those years? Just uh, they still they still maintain it very well, and they row occasionally, but again, it's it's not been a very friendly environment compared to what it usually is. The other thing we haven't talked about is the proposal to develop the uh, the bridge. I the wondered about bridge. that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kansas City, Kansas, very supportive of it. Again, the bridge is in Kansas. Mm -hmm. And the mayor oh. of Kansas City, Kansas, David Alvey, has uh, seen to it that the next, I think, four or five miles of their levee top road on the other side of the river going upstream is now developed as a trail. It isn't yet hooked up to the bridge, but it's in the process okay. of doing that. And then we'll also hook up on this side and this levee top road is, it's as beautiful a trail as the Katy Trail is. Really? Yeah. And what is the bridge called, do you know? Yeah, I think it's the Rock Island Bridge. The Rock Island Bridge? Yeah. And what what is the surface of the bridge itself like? Right now it's a railroad ties and rails. Mm -hmm. uh, it will be, of course, a, a flat surface. Um, and it would be a biking and walking trail, is that the Biking idea? and walking, and the developer of it wants to put uh, facilities there, restaurants, bars, event spaces on the bridge, but maintain the trailway. It's really a cool idea. Hopefully we'll be able to open up the levee top road all the way down to the Woodsweather Bridge, which is a beautiful and almost never used walking bridge across the uh, Kansas River where it intersects with the Missouri, hmm, Missouri really? River. Really? Don't even yeah. think I knew that was there. I didn't yeah. know it was oh, there. Oh, you should see it. It's, yeah. That's fascinating. So where, how could people find that walking bridge? You know, I'm not familiar enough with this, the street names, mm -hmm. but there is a Caw Point uh, Park yeah. where the rivers intersect down there, mm -hmm. and it's immediately north of that. It also connects with the Riverfront Trail that starts at Berkeley Park and goes under I-70, uh, and that's mm -hmm. where it crosses the river. Unfortunately, there's yeah. not much traffic on that uh, that part of the trail. You know, Dick, if you I had a motorized it. bicycle, I might explore those. Trails. You know, we could get on a couple of birds or lime scooters and head yeah, out. Yeah, we could. You, know, you, yeah. you really should see it. The artwork is uh, metal artwork on the on the bridge that integrates beautifully into the old railroad bridge. Uh, okay. Very very nice. Not used. Hopefully, we'll end up with a loop trail from this bridge to that bridge here. Now, how many people are going to be living in this in this patch of ground here? Eventually. Eventually. A few thousand. 
you know, initially I thought I wanted to do some kind of luxury condos uh, along the river there because mm -hmm. the riverfront is so beautiful there. But what I need is population. Mm -hmm. And the only way you get population, as my son pointed out to me, having come from Tokyo, is vertical. No. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, there will be offices and and apartments all along the river here, and I own I think several acres, a strip along the top there, next to the river top that we'll keep. I've offered to sell it uh, to Kansas City, Kansas, for a riverfront park, just 2,000 linear feet. So the Kaw is a mellower river. Very, be, very uh, peaceful river. Should yeah. be something that we uh, take advantage of. And you, it's, it's something that you'd let your kids walk down and fish in the river and wouldn't worry about them getting swept away. Mm -hmm. Where is that island? How far away is that island that resides in the middle of the Kaw? This way a few miles. Is it? Yeah. That's always fascinating yeah. too. Yep. <laughs> Can you build some apartments on that island? I'd kind of like to go out there. <laughs> Dick, let's get some lime or bird scooters and go out to the island. All right, sounds good. Yeah. But this area here, this, again, I think I've got about 17 acres maybe along the river here. It's just going to be ideal. I mean, it really will be. I'm already seeing young women with kids walking their kids and their dogs over to the river over here and that will be times a hundred as we get the apartment the other apartments finished well you've done great things here i'm so glad that uh you found this before it went the way of all the other great old buildings well i am too and uh and, and it's, you know, it all goes back to the finance courses that I took at the University of Missouri that were totally focused on access ramps to the brand new concept of interstate highways. So that and dumb luck. That and dumb luck, yeah. What dumb luck was probably first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tell me just a little more about that about the, the access ramp to the highways and what, how, well, how did that picture start clarifying for you? Well, it Why really, didn't anybody else take advantage of it? It was that? really that simple. Uh, I think people didn't take advantage of it because they looked at this abandoned stockyards and thought, oh shit, how could you ever <laughs> do anything with that? Mm -hmm. it, it didn't change the fact that this is you know, a really fun story. When when I talked to Butler about moving down here when they had to move, you know, their their management, top management's reaction was, oh no, all of our employees live in Johnson County. Of course, what they really meant was all of their fellow officers lived in Johnson County. Right. I had them do a scattered di diagram where their important their employees lived. It was a perfectly even distribution all four quadrants and there were interstate highways that all intersected very close to this intersection out here so that's that's been a powerful thing for uh, gateway computers probably although i haven't talked specifically about it to mark one electric electric 
and, and the tenants in our building here. It's a great location as far as logistics, as far as if you're sending trucks out across town. Uh, uh, as long as they're light trucks, I'm not going to allow any heavy industry to occur here. I see. And I've told people. But I mean, in terms of delivery, deliveries yeah. and things like that. Yeah. I, I think maybe the most powerful thing, or maybe the one I'm most familiar with, though, is access to the entire surrounding community for employees to get conveniently mm -hmm. and quickly to work and back. Wow. Well, I guess uh, one of the things about Kansas City, the people who I grew up here, and uh, Dick grew up here, and I, you know, we, we've talked about this before, it's a hub. That's yep. what it is. It's its reason to exist, is that it's a hub, which is something that people don't really, I mean, I never heard that when I was a kid growing up, that it's a it's a rail hub, it's a highway hub, it's an air hub, it's a water hub, it's a storage, uh, it's, it's underground storage. I mean, it's a great manufacturing, distributing, storage hub. You know, though, I think more, and, and I'm, I'm talking from personal experience as much as anything, but the job offers that I had before I went to the Commerce were in Houston, Los Angeles, St. Louis, and Kansas City. And the reason I came to Kansas City is I thought, what a wonderful place to live and raise your children. That was more important than all those other things put together. I kind of think that's a big part of the attraction of Kansas City. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, the feeling of being in Kansas City compared to just St. Louis is night and day. I've got to agree with you on that particular yeah. comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Well, try Los Angeles or Houston. <laughs> Been there. <laughs> Lived on a couch there, haven't you? Yeah. 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 And you're in the hub of the hub. I think so. I mean, the, yeah. you know, Kansas City wasn't a cow town. It wasn't a cattle hub. It was just a hub, and cattle was the thing that was being... It was the big deal then. ...was being hubbed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine 60,000 cattle arriving here in one day and being unloaded and pinned probably at 30 or 40 head per pen. Some of those pens were four stories high. Yeah, wow. Uh, well, I think everybody know, who grew up here remembers the smell. I was just gonna say you that. Knew it was the sm I, I could still identify the smell of the stockyards wafting. Uh, have you ever heard somewhere. anybody say, wasn't that smell awful? I never had. Not really, no. Yeah. I, we were kids you... in the back seat of the car. Yeah. We'd been out all night. with Our parents had been somewhere, and we mm -hmm. were going home. We always knew, oh, we know where we are now. <laughs> we're here. It's either here or with the close. grain up in North Kansas City that I grew up <laughs> yeah. around. Grain yeah. bin, so. Well, I'll, I'll tell everybody, if you haven't been to the, to the stockyards area recently, there's absolutely no unpleasant odor. There is no unpleasant. <laughs> it's way gone. And there will be even less when Loy and I leave the area. That's right. <laughs> now, Kansas City is, and I'm from a little bitty town, lead, lead mining t town uh, uh, down in the Ozarks. And what uh, was that town? 
Bonterre. Bonterre. Yeah. I, I had friends that grew up in Flat River. Oh, really? I used to go to Flat River a lot with yeah. my parents growing yeah. up. Yeah. That's a musical kind of a name, isn't it? Flat, Flat River. River. Yeah. Six miles away by bicycle. Bonterre. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sure. You used to go down and climb the chat dumps. Chat dumps were wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, have you been to Bonterre recently? Not as much as I should have because I, I loved growing up there and... Uh, it's a great place to grow up and not a very good place to make a living. So. Well, I have a theory about Kansas City, it's, it, and it's from growing up here and talking to so many people. I think 90% of the, the people that are anywhere around my age or older who are business people here in Kansas City have a connection to some town somewhere between Wichita and St. Louis that they either they, they have an affinity for it. They either want to go back to that town and show everybody that they're so much better than that town and get even with them, or they want to go save it, or they want to go hug it. Yeah. But they've all got a strong feeling about some small town yeah. that's around here. And you just got to scratch the surface and you find out, well, there's a that boy. Del Dunmire, Harrisonville. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, though, it's so tragic that most of the small towns are just, you know, there just isn't any economic value. Our Cottonwood Falls, where I've developed, you can see those two top ones there and the top three over here. And now, how did you wind building. up getting involved in that? Just well, more building hugging? You just said that's a beautiful Cotton place that needs to be saved? They've got a beautiful, beautiful courthouse, town uh -huh. of 800 people. Um, and all of these buildings that I've restored there were derelicts that were boarded up, wow. full of pigeons, and yet they have no economic value. Cottonwood Falls, I think last year, was named one of the five most beautiful tiny towns in the United States. But those buildings that I've put millions of dollars in the aggregate into have no value. This one right there, see that stone building right there is partly covered. Uh -huh. with, uh, gosh, I think we put four, $400,000 into it. But the taxes are $10,000 a year. And the local realtor tells me you couldn't give it to anybody because they couldn't pay the ten thousand mm -hmm. dollars in taxes. Yeah. So. Uh, well, the city loves you. Cottonwood well, Falls. What what state is it? Where is that? Cottonwood Falls. Cottonwood Falls would be just in Kansas. west and and south of uh, Emporia. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. It's on Highway 177, which is now the National mm, Scenic okay. Highway. Sure. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that's not far from your some of your Flint Hills property. You're right. Okay. I own uh, several, a few thousand acres, three miles south of Cottonwood Falls. I see. And then I've got, I think, 17 miles of frontage on I-35. You know where the, the cattle pens are on I-35? Big cattle pens. No between Wichita and Emporia. You know, I may just not remember. Yeah, it's a beautiful, that. beautiful um, uh, overlook. It's the only overlook, actually, there. Oh, I, I, yeah, I did see him. Yeah. Recently, I went to Wichita. Yeah. Okay, I remember well, now. That's, that's where I've got 12 miles of frontage, maybe, on, as far as you can see on both sides. All of it's under conservation easement to perpetuity, which harms the value of it 
Mm -hmm. Probably about $600 an acre, I think. Now, do you need uh, Loy and me to sit at this table and keep track of the things you own? Just so nobody, so you, well, I think I just so you remember. Them all. Yeah, you did. Okay, that's good. We hit them all. That's cool. Yeah. We don't want anybody to steal them. Those houses in Cottonwood Falls. That is phenomenal. Well, they're beautiful. Maybe someday, you know, and there is a national park now just north of Cottonwood Falls, eleven thousand acres. That I used to used to lease actually until last year. That's a national park, but it hasn't generated that much activity. For the little town. Hmm. What is the draw to the park? Just being a national. Just camping? the sheer beauty yeah. of um, same thing as. Well, I will tell you, it's kind of you know the Bass family are very very wealthy people and they're also very nice people. The four brothers. When I started buying, and they're the ones who bought a controlling interest in the company that I was running. When I started buying Flint Hills land. They became interested, two of the brothers, two really interesting story. One, Lee Bass, who I'd, I'd bought several thousand acres for, and I were standing on a big hill on my ranch. Far as you can see, just beautiful, unspoiled, can't see the hand of man any place. And he said, now Bill, explain this to me again that point it was a lot cheaper than it is now. He said, you ain't, and I'd been partnering with him on some cattle that had made a lot of money. Uh, he said, you mean I can buy this land for $400 an acre and we can run a cattle business that's very profitable on it and maybe it's right here along I-35 and they're going to throw all that scenery in for free. <laughs> <laughs> now, he wasn't joking. He was making a very profound economic statement. The other one, I've got a beautiful home. I think there's a picture of it there, the second one from the bottom. And Ed Bass and I were, were sitting on the front porch drinking a beer one night and I was pontificating about interest rates and the rate of inflation and return on the land in the short run and that sort of thing. And Ed punches me in the shoulder and he says, Bill, this is priceless. Neither of those were casual remarks. They were very astute, financially aware and important people who were summing it up really very beautifully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a very fortunate, very lucky guy. Dumb well, luck. Dumb luck well, does thank it all. You. That yep. does it. What this has been a wonderful chat. tour. Thank you. Good. What a wonderful thing. Well, good luck to you and all those things you want to do in the future. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Great stories, Bill. And if you want to get online on our YouTube channel, you can see some adventure where Bill took us on a hike up from the Caw River through the woods to the Woodsbury Bridge. It's a, an exciting adventure. Check it out on our YouTube channel. And join us again as we find another interesting media and marketing person to share their stories. You might love it, you might hate it, it's my favorite freaking show. Yeah.